Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. In this episode, we're thrilled to welcome Jacob Cook back to the show. As the CEO of WPIC Marketing and Technologies, Jacob is the perfect guest to discuss what's going on in Asia right now and how brands can take advantage of the growth opportunities. In this conversation, we dive deep into the current state of China's consumers and what Jacob is seeing from his vantage point as we are in the midst of the 1111 Singles Day Shopping Festival. We also discuss Douyin's evolution as a platform for commerce, how it compares to other Chinese platforms like Tmall, evolutions in the Japanese online ecosystems, and so much more. Enjoy. Douyin, or the Chinese TikTok, has become a major player in e-commerce. It's still not really comparable when looking at overall GMV, but certainly with this data that we see, and we're, are, we're investing heavily in it, we know it's going to be a big thing in the future. However, there's been a lot of talk about stimulus. So I know in the U.S. and Canada and other markets, the consumer was given checks to help with consumption. Maybe some criticized that that was too much in certain cases in Canada anyway. We expect that to start happening uh, late Q4, Q1, Q2 of next year for there actually to be consumer stimulus checks sent out. There's been a lot of talk where the smoke is usually fire in these things. So that's going to be great for consumption. If that's the case, I think you're going to push well back into double digit growth. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. My name is Todd Embley, and I am your host. And today we have a special guest. We have the CEO uh, and co-founder of WPIC Marketing Technologies, Jacob Cook, with us today. Jacob, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. We'd like to bring you in as a specialized guest to deep dive into those big e-commerce bonanza events that happen generating out of China. Um, but I know it starts to go global now. You know, we do 618, but this time, obviously, we're doing Singles Day coming up on November 11th. Uh, first of all, let's jump into where you are and what you're going through right now, because I know that you've been traveling. You've gone back into China. You're in quarantine. Tell us a little bit about where you are and what quarantine is like. Yeah, it's been a big month. So I took the uh, national day, the 10 day holiday, basically at the start of October. And I used that time to go to our overseas offices. So I stopped in to our Japanese office in Tokyo, didn't get a chance to get to Osaka. Uh, and then I went to Vancouver, uh, got a chance to see our people in Toronto as well. But it's been a couple of weeks uh, in Vancouver with our people there. And that was great. Got to visit a couple of clients. Of course, it's never long enough. Um Came back Monday night, Vancouver time. Uh, been in my quarantine hotel for a little bit uh, more than a day now. So I've got another uh, nine days roughly in quarantine, which gets me out right at the start of 11-11. And 
that's how it works now. So, uh, you know, these trips that you could usually go away for a week, a couple of years ago now take uh, just about a month. So you obviously don't do it as often, um, probably still spending about as much time overseas if you aggregate it over the entire year. But, you know, not going to do that every month. Obviously, quarantine's, uh, I think I, I got a stomach for about once every six months, I think, or five months. But uh, glad it's only 10 days this time and not 21 like it was the last time I was here. Speaking of the stomach, tell us. How does it work with where you have to stay? How does it work with getting sustenance, food? You know, how does that stuff work? Oh, boy. Okay. Big question. Uh, So let's discuss this time. So, I mean, I've done this multiple times before. So I'm going into this with... uh, with some preparedness and I'm an engineer. So I tend to find solutions to problems. So before I left, I went on to Taobao and I bought a fridge, a freezer, a ice machine and a hot pot and a grill. And I put all of those in my suitcase. I brought them all to Canada and then I brought them all the way back to China with me along with steaks, nice red wines, fresh produce. I don't think I'll be able to keep it for the entire 10 days, but I think I'm going to get through seven or eight days, six or seven days of eating pretty well. Hotels find that the JW Marriott food is, it's disgusting. It's inedible. I, I can't like, I can't believe that there's like a jail, for example, that would serve worse food. But other than that, room's fine. You know, towels are there. It's, it's all good. So you solve your own food problem. You're fine. You get through the whole 10 days, but, um, but you, you're staying in hotels that usually are not known for their meal prep. No. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot that we could dive into around a quarantine hotel, um, what they're kind of mandated are, what they're being uh, supplied or subsidized from the government in order to provide uh, all the food and things like that. So it's not going to be your typical JW. You know, it's, it's, it's probably nothing against JW Marriott, right? It is, it is actually the quarantine provisions that are designed outside of what they would probably want to be doing. Yeah. Well, the Marriott part of it is totally fine. It's when they they come in with the food, uh, that's what's not good. And this is no knock against Chinese food. I think this is some of the best food in the world. Um, I can't wait to get out of here and I'll be going through some feasts. That's for sure. It is simply how this is being managed and prepared. It's horrible. Other than that, it's fine. I mean, the JW part, like I said, the rooms are good. Hotel's normal. Everything was great. People help you with your bags. Uh, and when it's over, it's over. Um, but yeah, you're right. They have absolutely nothing to do with the food. Nothing to do um, with any of it. I mean, I stay at JWs in China. That's my network. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the brand. But uh, yeah, so you just work. You, you fill your schedule and you get it done, you know, like anything else. It's a really, really, I mean, again, uh, one of the best people we could talk to about this kind of thing. Unbelievable story about the preparedness that you went through and the things that you bought, the amount of, of distances you, you, you took them to, to get here. Uh, that's, that's incredible. That's a great story. Thank you for leading us off with that. Um, but now we got to dive into the stuff that we're really here to talk about. And that is China's consumer, 1111, Douyin, all the things around all of this kind of stuff. So let me ask you first, what is the state of China's consumer today? Well, it's good. It's coming out of COVID. Certainly the online consumer is doing really well. We're still seeing uh, roughly high single digits in terms of consumer consumption year over year. Um, That's like one of the only growth areas in the world, actually, in terms of these numbers. I think there's a lot of press out there that, you know, talks about it slowing down. And that that could be the case. I mean, we were up of 20 percent you know, for all these years in in consumer consumption, a lot of the offline is still shifting to online. Um, We're seeing also sectors that were ravaged by COVID really coming back in terms of tourism, uh, fashion, luxury, 
Um, some of those were down up to 90% uh, during COVID. So to see them coming back now is good. Um, we still see, you know, changes in consumer behavior, though, for sure. Uh, people are healthy, healthier. They're taking better care of themselves. There's certain trends that are going across male and female. Um, and it really does have to do with lifestyle and, and, and a healthier, better lifestyle. Um, you know, I think that's really behavior that, um, you know, when you start to work out, and you start to exercise, you don't usually go back from that, right? Like if you had to order your food online and then your grocery store opened up again, you might go back to the grocery store. But the working out and the exercise and the healthy part of this, I think that's here to stay. And the consumption, the numbers that we see tell us that's here to stay as well. Broadly speaking, before we zoom in on different sectors, verticals, uh, platforms, things like that. What are you seeing from 11.11 in the lead up to 11.11 this year? I see a lot of talk about it for sure. When I see, um, you know, there was a lot of buildup with brand, with the actual platforms before too, and the fact that they would advertise a lot. Here's my 11.11. Here's my 11.11. You don't see as much of that this time around. Less outdoor, less bus ads, these types of things. Um, so I think they're not as competitive against each other. This is going to be the largest shopping festival of the year globally. There's no taking away. It will be higher overall in aggregate uh, than previous years. It's not going down. It might not be going up by 30% year over year. Those days might be behind us now. Um, but that's totally okay. Uh, we're ready for it. We, we know what we're expecting. And we don't think that we need to go into this with, with massive discounts. We need to have some of the best pricing that we're going to have all year. Uh, our customers expect that. But we're not going to be ridiculous or, or you know using loss leaders or, or dropping below our margins which has happened in previous years. And, the, and, and that growth rate was, was obviously unsustainable uh, in perpetuity. So it, it had to come down at some point. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe it's forcibly uh, coming down a little bit because of COVID and stuff, but it, it had to happen at some point. So what categories are you expecting to see really strong growth in right now? Athletic apparel, number one, really high growth there. That's also becoming a fashion, by the way, too, uh, if you're watching it. Nutraceuticals, I'd expect a good year there too. People are taking their vitamins, uh, exercise equipment, appliances are still way up. Now, I, this is a little bit of a, of a rig stat because it came from so far behind below COVID. People were not buying appliances online. They are now. So we're still seeing this being a, a very prominent category too as well. People are uh, making their homes better because they're spending more time in there, for example. And then everything else, pretty consistent. Uh, like I said, we're expecting increases in, in luxury, not back to 2019 levels, but certainly better than last year. I'm going to give you one last shot uh, around 1111 uh, and maybe advice to brands, anything that they may, um, you know, in, in, in this, this, you know, week ahead, what could they possibly be doing to prepare or to get ready or, you know, those last finishing touches on what they're hoping for to make that go as well as possible uh, coming for the, 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 you know, 11, 11. Well, two things. I mean, one, it, sometimes you get opportunities that come available because maybe people didn't get the supply in time. They booked advertising slots. So we're very open and, you know, manning the phones to stay and, um, and pick up what we can in terms of inventory at a good price. But number two, really, you know, this is being recorded on October 27th, get some sleep because in three days, this <laughs> is going to start and it's going to be pretty intense for 12 days. So, um, that's our advice. Certainly. Um, yeah. But I mean, the planning for 1111 starts in starts in August. So by at this point in October 27th, we're 
well on the way. You know, warehouses even have boxes prepped already to go because uh, we know what our hero products are going to be. Um, and our predictive analytics have a pretty good idea of what we're going to sell. So that's, you know, prepped, ready to go. Only need to sticker put on the box and it's out, out the warehouse door. Okay. For those who are unaware, who, who haven't listened to us talk to you a year ago about what to expect, you mentioned that 10 day lead up. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's not like a, a you know, and I'm a Black Friday, you know, everybody waits that day, but this is different. Uh, can you explain a little bit about why you said this, this is about to launch 10 days ahead of time? Well, okay. Black Friday also, you're, you're going to see that last or Cyber Tuesday also last more and more longer. I've, I've seen that. I've noticed that. I thought that was actually kind of funny. But 11-11 started as one day, every sort of year until it got to be 12 days and they didn't have the gumption to make it more than 12 days, then it stopped. Um, so basically you have events going on through the entire time. Your pre-sales are going to start on the 31st of October, which makes budgeting a little bit tricky if you work on a month by month. But then you're going to get into November the 1st. That's the, we'll call that the second largest day. Um, and the actual 11-11 event will probably usually go for three to four days, eight, nine, 10, 11. And then the tricky thing is the 12th and 13th are actually part of the festival too. So you could be looking at two full weeks basically um, between shopping events and then, you know, get some rest and get right back up and at it for 12-12. Okay, let's move on and talk a little bit about look into the future for next year. Uh, what do you see happening for the China consumer class uh, for 2023? <sighs> I think if we don't see anything major change, we're going to still see around the 6 to 8% uh, increase in consumer spending across the board in aggregate. Most of that is going to be online. Um, we'll probably see 10 or 11% online and maybe a slight reduction in offline retail. That's trend. That, that trend is well underway. It's been underway for eight years. It got accelerated during COVID. There's also new channels out there. You know, Douyin or the Chinese TikTok has become a major player in e-commerce. It's still not really comparable when looking at overall GMV, but certainly with this data that we see it and we're, are, we're investing heavily in it. We know it's going to be a big thing in the future. However, there's been a lot of talk about stimulus. So I know in the U.S. and Canada and other markets, the consumer was given checks to help with consumption. Maybe some criticized that that was too much in certain cases in Canada anyway. We expect that to start happening uh, late Q4, Q1, Q2 of next year for there actually to be consumer stimulus checks sent out. There's been a lot of talk where there's smoke, there's usually fire in these things. So that's going to be great for consumption. If that's the case, I think you're going to push well back into double-digit growth. I'm going to take a quick tangent here. And I want to talk a little bit about the arrival or the re-arrival of Austin Lee. Okay, so he's back on Tabo yeah. Live. Can you explain the whole story about why that's actually significant? Well, he was a big revenue driver. And when you look at a lot of the 11-11 stuff that went on, I mean, you had three of your top influencers were really commanding a lot of the attention, certainly. He's going to be a big deal for revenue. Um, again, when you deal with these big influencers, they're great for getting the message out. They're great for getting people introduced to your products, but they're not great for margin. Uh, Austin Lee, especially with less competition, uh, is still roughly the same contract value as he was before. That's going to be, uh, you know, roughly 30% commissions and, and some airtime. So plus the lowest price, they, they have low price demands as well. And when you put all those things together, it's very difficult to make money, but it's also very easy to launch a brand. So if you have a product that's a repeat purchase, like a makeup, for example, is called the Lipstick King for a reason, then it kind of works if you have a lot of confidence in your product because you can get it out there. You can hope for that repeat purchase and actually start to make some money doing that. 
Interestingly enough, if you're following Taobao Live, the number two guy right now is focused on men's products. This is something that uh, is relatively new, actually, certainly for Taobao Live. There's been big channels on other um, streaming platforms that have focused on men's products too. But that that's a game changer because 80% of online shopping is done by women, which includes 60% of men's products uh, bought by women as well. And 99% of women's products, you know, overall, that aggregates into a little higher than 80%. Explain everything around Douyin. Um, I think people just need to know, and I'm going to keep it kind of broad and high level. I think everybody needs to understand what, is, what Douyin is doing and the impact they're having on the market right now. So please explain that to those who don't know. Well, Douyin focuses on live streaming and short form video. So when you look at it, it's a great way to um, it's a great medium, especially for fashion. Right. When by you can try new things on, you can interact with the models, try this on with that. What does it look like with glasses? Just questions like that. So these interactive fashion shows that go on for eight hours a day are dominating that category. You're actually seeing GMV move over from Tmall into Douyin. Even with the rise of all the other platforms in the last 10 years, you never saw any GMV move. It was always incremental. First time it's actually moved. Um, That's a big deal. Uh, Secondly, they're really good at suggesting new things with that format. You know, the algorithms are um, not good on Tmall for suggesting new things. Like they, the algorithms and the AI is is rigged so that you to to get more GMV out of you. So they know if you're a red wine drinker, they're going to recommend a red wine. Really difficult though for to recommend something to you that you might also like. <laughs> And they know that the chances of them doing that will probably not lead to GMV. So they want to keep you in your lane because that's what's actually going to drive more GMV to the platform. However, on the videos, if I find a guy who's roughly got my taste, I, I'd love to listen to suggestions on things that would enhance my lifestyle for three to four hours. And the algorithms don't do a very good job of that. I have to know what I want on Tmall usually before going in there and buying it. Right. Where live streaming platforms like TikTok can just I can go shop. I can go walk like the streets of a mall and, and, and buy new things going to the mall without an intention, without a specific thing that I wanted to buy beforehand. I just want to go shopping, you know, and, and e-commerce didn't do that. Right. It, it, that was kind of the experience that was missing. Uh, so now I think, um, I think that's why they're going to do very well. Uh, I think that's why other platforms are starting to catch up. You know, we get a lot of interest from overseas platforms like Rakuten and Walmart asking us about China and, 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 you know, acknowledging that the trends that start here are going to be happening in other markets too, as well. So that's the advice that we're giving out. How much of a threat is, is Douyin and everything that they're doing to the other platforms like Alibaba and such? Well, I think for, for the first time, you know, we're not expecting Alibaba's GMV to go down, but two thirds of the growth in GMV, for example, this year have been have belonged to Douyin. So that's really the threat is that they're going to lose portions of the growth. That's really the threat. Um, but look at I mean, they're a huge company with a massive war chest. We can expect that they will adapt um, to these changes and, and, and defend properly. Well, that's what you said. You said that the other you know, the other, the other players were, were catching up, you know, they, they were seeing what they were doing and it doesn't take them long with the resources they have. And, you know, the engineers that they can devote to that, that are also very, very smart to, to catch back up. They're not going to lag for long. I, w- I would, I would say so. That really has been their pattern. When, when PDD leapt ahead in third, fourth, fifth tier cities, Tmall immediately came up with programs to compensate. So PDD taught them how to shop online and then Tmall you know, really kind of enhance the experience and 
I don't think there's any real advantage there anymore uh, that PDD has in, in those cities or price points. So expect them to defend. I don't know what the move is. I haven't seen it yet. But over the last 10 years, they've proven that they can adapt and, and probably will. Yeah, they'll pull off the, the Queen's Gambit if they need to. Talk to us about the world of creative in Asia. Talk to us about what's happening in that world. And what are you guys doing to build solutions that match that need? Well, in terms of what we're doing, we do it with a bunch of studios, right? So we have, I mean, this has been going on for years. We've been doing this for years, even since live streaming was a thing with Tmall. We, you know, if you go back to like 20, what was it, 2019, when we were groundbreaking on that Nanjing facility, um, we stopped construction midway through to double the amount of studios. We then, you know, within a year of that, 16 months of that, uh, when we opened up our facility in Hangzhou, added a whole bunch more studios there too as well. So, I mean, we've gone from four studios in our original demand to almost 20 plus we're renting studios. We're shooting outside all the time. We're trying to create studio environments in real world situations like hotel kitchens. So, I mean, we're, we're on it. Absolutely. It sounds like a, a universal studios, uh, event of, of just really trying to create every, every possible, um, uh, backdrop. Uh, and, and who knows, maybe you'll start building roller coasters. I love this. What's happening in, right, in Japan right now? I know you were just there. Can you talk to us? Tell us a little bit about anything of what you were witnessing from uh, the consumption uh, patterns, behaviors of uh, shoppers in, in that area? You know, it was really great to see uh, Tokyo, especially that was completely back to normal. Airports were packed. A lot of mask wearing, but that's the Japanese were wearing masks actually well before COVID. Probably one in five people in Tokyo were, were wearing a mask. Now it's going to be nine in 10. Um, bars, restaurants packed, needed reservations to get in. Uh, I didn't see anything boarded up, which was great. I mean, even going to Vancouver, there's still a lot that's boarded up there. Uh, Shanghai, uh, where I went just before I came back in, it was pretty sad to see a lot of stuff still boarded up and new tenants hadn't moved in yet. But in terms of Tokyo, I you know, give that a hundred percent on the recovery scale. It was great to see. And, and again, a testament to what, it, what it's going to be like for everybody else. that's not there yet. Yeah. So speaking of catching up, uh, you would think now outside of China, you know, the platforms are kind of battling within, but just lying outside the borders of, of, of uh, the China online ecosystems and, and, and commerce is the other countries that are around it. Um, and I want to focus a little bit on Japan do you see any evolutions uh, in the online ecosystems in Japan as well? Even in Korea and Japan, they've started some live streaming now, um, but it's really at its infancy. So they're getting advice from the people that know China well. Um, I was just in there talking to them a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's a big topic. So it's, it's going to go, but it's still at its very early stages yet. Jacob, I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, jumping in to give us a quick update on what to expect for 11.11 and the other things. Good luck with your quarantine. Uh, you've obviously done it right uh, this time. I hope it works out for you. And for everybody, warm virtual round of applause for Jacob Cook, co-founder and CEO of WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Thank you. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate it. Awesome. For those of you watching this video on uh, our YouTube channel, don't forget we have the audio only on the podcast, which wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it, we're there. And for those of you listening to us, audio only, uh, we did manage to make it through with a good quality of video, which was awesome. So we're going to be able to post this to our YouTube channel. Make sure you go and check us out there. But from all of us here at The Negotiation, and thanks to WPIC Marketing Technologies, who's always behind and supporting us, we bid you adieu and hope everybody enjoys the upcoming 11-11. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. 
The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.